and okay, good point. Good Stop point. Stop whispering. I'm not whispering. I'm. It's, I'm not you got whispering. Excited. You're like yes, yes. I'm picking. I'm Shush. picking. Well, okay. Now I'm gonna sound discombobulated um okay i'm sorry okay okay there's that new testament verse that says we are a kingdom of priests so like to bring it back to the old testament you brought your your eruptions of the flesh to the priest to the priest you're a priest you're a priest we're all priests and so that's why we need to be in contact with each other so we can help each other Welcome to the 42 Podcast, where we discuss life together, looking for answers to life, the universe, and, well, everything else. Here are your hosts, Rob and Lindsay. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Lindsay. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm all coffeeed up, ready to go. I slept in you? this morning. What? Uh, what? I I slept in until 5.30. Gah. You're still an evil morning person. Then I only had 15 minutes to prepare myself emotionally for my children. <laughs> oh, my God. No, no. So school is starting this week, and I have to adjust my wake-up time from somewhere around noon to, like, 5 in the morning. If the sun's not up yet, why am I awake? <laughs> Schools are evil. Oh, my gosh. Just, no. Ugh. Yeah, it, nah. all right, evil morning person that you are. Anyway, we're going to have some fun today because uh, we have a guest coming on with us. And uh, Yay. Kyle, you're going to be joining us in conversation today. Hi, Kyle. Yes, I am. Hello. And, nice uh, to meet you. <laughs> yeah, so to be a little bit fair, Lindsay, Kyle and I have a little bit of background. Um, mm-hmm. I worked for a church out in Western PA for math is hard six years i think i was out there for six years and uh while i was out there i got to know kyle's mother and father and his little brother so they are old family friends of mine uh your parents actually babysat my kids Mm -hmm. for the longest time and uh i took them as pseudo grandchildren for a while i think Their pictures are up on the wall next to my daughter's. So. I was going to say, you have now provided them with a grandchild. I saw some of the Facebook posts over the past couple of weeks of being able to visit with you. But Kyle, you have grown up in the church. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm saying this because your parents have filled me in over the years. <laughs> wow. Sorry. But You're fine. What, what what is it that you want to come on and talk with us about today, and why do you have a perspective and an opinion on that? How about that? Well, say my perspective and opinions from growing up in the church, um, and more specifically, hopping from several different backgrounds in churches. Um, say my mother's church was a popular church within the Ohio and northwestern Pennsylvania area uh, called the Evangelical Christian Church. Um, honestly, I can't point what's much different between them and a Southern Baptist church, say 
they look identical, they behave identical. Um, someone will probably have plenty of theological points and values to show me otherwise. Um, say, moved from there to a Christian Missionary Alliance Church is the denomination I'm a part of now. Um, but from a young age, raised down in the South for a little while, Southern Baptist. My dad came from a Pentecostal background. Um, so got to see a lot of different stops along the way. And then when I went to school in Toccoa Falls, down to Georgia, Alliance Affiliated College, one of the pushes was to go and mingle with the churches at large in the area. So oftentimes you were going to different churches on different Sundays to, you know, feel them out, whether it was for class project and they knew when you were there for class project because you brought an extra notebook and they're like, oh, you're here to judge us. Yay. (laughs) Um, But it just, it brought, it showed me a couple of things. One that as vastly different as a lot of churches seem, there's a whole lot we seem to do the same. And that comes to my topic because one of those things just seems to be uh, like dealing with our vices that are acceptable and, you know, character flaws that we just kind of, that's okay because, you know, I don't want to change that. So we're not doing that. (laughs) Um, Uh, You said you went to an Alliance college um, mm -hmm. and you studied ministry then? I was a youth ministry minor there. My major was music. I was a piano major. So um, you you fall into, sorry, um, being in youth ministry, there's kind of a category of youth director who is both musician and youth director. You are a yes. musician youth director. Yeah, yeah. Say I am the one of the first members of ministry to experience burnout upon leaving college is what they told me. <laughs> Say, because you just decide, I'm going to do two things at once, and it's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't work. Um, say, I do serve at my, at my church as youth minister, and I do lead music at the church, uh, both of which are volunteer roles, uh, both of which are given the whole, if things get to be too much, let us know. We'll back you away from one of them. We'll help you out. Um, it's a small church, so, well, my youth group has, since pandemic, has gone from a family that brought eight students plus six other students from different families to, I get one every other week now, but, I mean, we're working on that. Pandemic has not been friendly to youth ministry, especially going into this year with you know, anyone under 12 not being able to get the vaccine yet, what schools yes. are doing, and what normalcy does and does not look like for different family groups. But that's an entirely different discussion. Oh, yeah. But oh, you're yeah. you're bivocational then. So you're doing this volunteer yep. base. This is where your education and training is. But you, mm-hmm. you do something else to support your family. Yes. It's perfect. That, that gives a good setup to who you are and why this is important where your background is, that's great. Uh, I'm in the church as well. We've gone through this in the podcast, so I've got plenty of stories about the acceptable, unacceptable, and (laughs) weird of ministry. Uh, 
Lindsay, you're the perspective. While I, I appreciate and I'm, I love having you on, Kyle. Lindsay, you're the perspective I'm actually intrigued to hear from as well in this conversation because you are the outs- inside outsider. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah, inside uh, outsider. Outsider, insider. I don't know which one I want to stick with there. I don't either. <laughs> you're something. Yeah, I'm something. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I had an original story I was going to, you know, start this conversation with, but I think maybe the best one is for me to now judge you on your coffee opinions that you were both horribly sharing before oh. we turned microphones on. Horribly. Right. I, I put an ice cube in my coffee when it's 90 degrees outside so that it's not blistering hot. I don't want, I want to be able to drink it right away, first off. So I will put, but it's also only when the coffee's good and strong. If the coffee's not strong enough, you can't put ice in it because it weakens the coffee too much. But I think that's perfectly acceptable. (laughs) Yeah, and I just put a few more ice cubes than she puts in, and I don't see the problem. And, you know, little sugar. I think Rob's a little snooty about his coffee. I am a little snooty. The only time you should be drinking ice-cold coffee is when you are committed to that cup of coffee and you've been working for like an hour straight and have not been able to get another cup. And it's, nope, just down the cup. But that's Otherwise, not it should coffee. be. It's cold coffee. And that's the only kind of cold coffee you should drink. Everything else should be blistering hot. I don't care if it's 300 degrees outside. It should be blistering hot. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. And it should only be black. No cream, no sugar, none of the... No. I'm with you there. I like coffee black as well. <laughs> I Say, do. I, I haven't been able to stomach it. I don't know why. It's an and acquired taste, I think. When I was um, I was intermittent fasting a little while ago, and I, I couldn't put anything in my sugar... I mean, wait. <laughs> I couldn't put anything in my coffee or it'll break my fast. So I had to start drinking it black. And then I, I got used to it. Now I now I won't come back. I was in like sixth grade, so what is that? That's like twelve ish. And yeah. my parents made a deal with me that I could attend my first youth group lock in if I did confirmation class the next day. Psst, I'm twelve, I can conquer the world, I got this. Did the lock in, had a great time, sat down for confirmation class, did not realize how boring it was gonna be. <laughs> But thankfully, they had coffee set out, so I discovered cream, sugar, and some coffee. That was like the only period in my life where I drank cream and sugar in my coffee. When you were... <laughs> it was also my introduction to coffee addiction and caffeine. Mm, caffeine. So you want to talk about that? That's the one yeah. of the biggest ones in the church, oh. caffeine addictions. I mean, I have a whole running theory that... Like, while the CIA was running to South America and bringing in cocaine, you know, they had a background <laughs> operation with the church bringing in coffee. Um, say, there's, I don't care what denomination you are, you walk in, there is a coffee station. Everyone's got it. Everyone's always having it. The beginning of the morning's always slow and dreary, and then everybody just seems to perk up, and it's like, gee, how did it get... The spirit must be moving. It's like, yes, the spirit of about three cups of coffee. So where do you get the idea that coffee... Well, a caffeine addiction is not... is wrong? Where do we get the idea that addiction is wrong? (sighs) Say, well, addiction... 
can lead to uh, how do I want to put this? Addictions, I mean, rudimentary wise, if anything that forces your behavior to sacrifice, you know, other values. Uh, so for a heroin addict, you know, I need to, you know, basically give up the farm, sell all I have to go after this high and keep chasing this dealer until I've run my family, you know, ragged or myself ragged and just to the point of death. Um, obviously, coffee is not going to lead you to hurt your family. Um, hopefully, hopefully. But uh, just, you know, anything you allow to kind of take that number one role in your life ahead of your personal goals, your faith, your your family, say anything that kind of steps in the way that you say, well, I can't do this without first doing this. What about um, eating, eating breakfast kind of does that, doesn't it? Like eating breakfast or brushing yeah. your teeth or brushing your teeth. Say, yeah, but there's but... a healthy aspect to breakfast and brushing your teeth. I, if I may supplement something in here that, that will give, I think some perspective, uh, a few years back at a extremely stressful point in my life, I was drinking about a pot and a half of regular coffee a day. Uh, and also at this point, I, I went to the doctors. I don't remember why, but in that whole checkup, I was pre hypertense. My stress levels were through the roof. It, it was enough where he was going, uh, you keep running at this pace. You're going to be dead of a heart attack in a decade. Uh, that was a decade, over a decade ago. I'm not dead yet. But I was using that caffeine, that coffee to keep me going because between the stress and there was an element of depression in it, I, I needed something to give me a physical boost to make it through the day, to make it through the stress of the day. And, uh, yeah, I. Instead of what? instead of having a total and utter collapse. The, and that was the option that I was looking at, whereas I'm going to either entirely break down and just collapse in on myself and become not even a hot mess, but a mess. So you had to change something in order to not need the coffee so much. I had to change how I was emotionally handling my stress. Because I allowed the coffee to be just a means to drag me through the day. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there's that element, and I think addiction can take almost any form, uh, whether it's coffee, alcoholism, drugs. I mean, you pick. Uh, gambling. Yeah, gambling. Uh, Food. Pornography. I, there's a number of things that people will use consciously or subconsciously to manage deeper underlying issues. And within the church structure, I think there is a it's okay. You know, I, I had one lady tell me, you know, she, she didn't understand why some elements of my generation were falling apart and getting medicated. And it was just sit down, have a beer at the end of the day and figure it out. Was it a beer or is it a six pack of beer you're having? You know, how are you self-medicating through that alcohol? But she was a church lady and that was the acceptable thing of just sit down, drink and figure out your day. So isn't it, okay, the part that seems to be the sin in addiction is the fact that you're making decisions in your life or you're letting life happen to you in such a way that you feel you must compensate 
with a substance or an activity. Whereas, right, rather than find the healthy option to dealing with your stress anxieties, this one thing makes it go away for the next two hours. I'm going to do this one thing. So well, if you're working too much and not spending and not 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 having a Sabbath, I mean, that's a good one. We need to talk about that because yeah. the Bible talks about taking a Sabbath. When the heck is this pastor supposed to do that? Um, but my point being, if you're not taking a Sabbath, if you're not resting, if you're working too much, then you are going to be running too hard and therefore need coffee. I don't think coffee's wrong at all. 100%. No. Not at all. But I think there are things that we do that we shouldn't be doing. And those are the sins. That's why you're anxious. And the Bible says not to be anxious. Technically, anxiety is a sin, isn't it? Lindsay, I think you just stabbed into the heart of the issue there. Circumventing all of the conversation. We're done. Podcast over. <sighs> I just clicked that one out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, but I mean, that is the no, truth of it, where it's, it, you hit it right on the head, where it's the heart issue of what am I, what am I hiding, moving past, um, or not dealing with through my addiction, through coffee, through alcohol, through, 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 pick your, pick your poison. So, so. I mean, for me, like the coffee thing was, you know, I don't drink coffee that often, save for iced coffee. And, you know, so it's like, haha, I'm not like you coffee drinkers, but, uh, Coke. hey, hey, oh, I love my Coke. And <laughs> so it's so for you, what's the difference between ritual and addiction? Because I have a ritual of drinking coffee in the morning. It's part of my routine. It's it's comforting. It's um. I enjoy it a lot. So, yeah, I'd say the question is if, say, you had something you needed to do at that appointed time for your ritual, you know, is it something that you spend all day thinking about that ritual and going, man, I wish I had that, you know, and I'm not just saying just the quiet time and everything, because I think we all, you know like that time of centering and adjusting, but just saying like, I, you, you go through the day and you know, you're snapping at people, you're getting upset and people are like, what's wrong? Oh, I haven't had my coffee today. Right. It's like, uh, okay. At that point in time, you say, is that okay to, you know, it's altering your emotional stability to a point that you can't function socially you know, well, and I'd be like, you know, everybody's got a bad day, you know, and a lot of times we supplement that with I haven't had my coffee today, whether we even drink coffee or not. So I mean, it's a cultural thing. By that logic, though, toddlers are addicted to bottles of milk. Yeah. <laughs> if my daughter doesn't get her bottle of milk at lunch at nap time or bedtime. But there's it's a, over. But that milk is necessary for her. As she's growing, whereas coffee is entirely unnecessary for me. And uh, full disclosure, I drink one thing of espresso in the morning and then it's decaf the rest of the day. And I enjoy the ritual of being able to sit and, you know, have a conversation mm -hmm. like this with uh, a hot mug in my hands, which is getting colder. See, cold coffee argument here. I'm still committed to the cup. But I don't need this 
to make it through my day. Your daughter does need that milk for her bones, for her health, for as she's growing as a young lady. I'm assuming you're talking your youngest. Um, Evelyn, she's, she's four, and she still insists on having a cup of warm milk in the middle of the day. Because she because she's used to it. It's what she does. It's comforting. It's warm. Mm-hmm. Tastes good. It's kind of sweet because it because of the sh- natural sugars in the milk. You know, it's like, and I'm I try to I think I should probably get her to stop doing that, <laughs> but I but I don't because that sounds like a battle I don't want to have. You know, but technically, eh, eh, eh. these yeah. I don't know. I mean, we're all creatures of habit. We yeah, really but, love our routines, and, and there yeah. are things that are are not bad habits routines to have it's just how much emotional importance and i think that's maybe the the area that we we should really camp on is what the emotional importance of that element is to us uh yeah i mean a lot of uh my wife my wife was a counseling major in college and a lot of what she was taught and focused on was when you're dealing with behaviors and people hung up on things and rituals, it's getting past, you know, being able to move on saying, I, you know, I, this didn't happen today, but I'm good. We'll do it tomorrow. We'll just move on. Um, and I think, you know, I don't, I, I hate making it the statement of, you know, because I think we do it way too much in the church of trying to power through, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, just man up, you know, toughen up, get through this thing and, you know, meet, meet it out on the other end. You know, it's like, eh, OK, you know, it's not a willpower battle every single time, but, you know, being able to accept that, OK, this is a deficiency in my life. This is, you know, something I need or struggle with or maybe use as a crutch way too much and you know i need to take steps to work myself out of that you know for me i tested my blood pressure probably four or five months ago found out i was like running like 180s over almost 100 and i'm 32 years old yeah and i was like i looked at my wife and i said all right, one, I'm going to do the thing I hate. I'm going to go see a doctor. Two, I, you can have whatever Coke's left in the fridge if you want it. I'm not doing it. And because I, I was sitting there, I was like looking at it. I was like, how many 12 packs have I been through in the last two weeks? Mm. And when I stopped at five, I'm like, no, crazy. <laughs> Like and then I looked at the price and I'm like, why am I doing this? But I was like, okay. And now good news is, you know, those numbers are down. They didn't have to medicate me, all that. But you know, the doctor was like, how much? Like, what? What did your diet look like? What did your drinks look like? And she's like, how much caffeine do you have in a day? And I was like, uh, too much, <laughs> way too much. and you know i'm sitting there i was like man i used to make fun of my mom because we had to take her to the hospital once because in the one solid work day she was a manager at a dollar tree uh she managed to down six pots of coffee by herself without realizing it she just kept making the pot pouring herself a cup 
And eventually, like, she's like, I can't, she's like, my chest hurts, I'm shaking, I don't know what's going on. And dad took her in the emergency room. I was, oh, let's say probably 10 or 11 at the time. And I was, dad, dad said, he's like, if your mom makes a pot of coffee, he's like, just, he's like, if it's the first pot, leave it alone. He's like, if it's the second pot, he's like, maybe pour half of it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. So let me ask this question, kind of moving us a little bit past. Um, what have you guys felt is the church's ability to support the emotional health and well-being of individuals, but also support those who are struggling with addictions to to meet their physical needs, but to also meet their spiritual needs. Have you guys seen that? Do you guys feel like the, and I'm speaking broadly about the church, not individual churches, but the the church as a a whole. Do you guys see us doing that well or not? I've seen individuals in churches who really step out and um, help addicts connect to how, um, like, rehabs and things. I've seen people bend over backwards for drug addicts, but I don't really see um a, a large organizational effort to help addicts. I guess celebrate recovery or groups like that. I suppose that kind of counts. Um and there's a measure of accountability there. I think that's really good, but so not too much, I suppose, uh, on a on a church wide um, basis that I've noticed. Yeah, I think we tend to like to stick, and not just for addicts. I think we tend to like to stick people going through things um, in the same groups, uh, especially you know, you bring up Alcoholics Anonymous and stuff, and we tend to try to run that through church organizations a lot, and. It's like, well, that's great. It's like, but, you know, they're surrounded by a bunch of others going through the same thing. And they're, you know, there to help each other up and hold each other up. But where are the people who aren't that can come across and say like, hey, you know, how about you come hang out with me? You know, I'm not going to be going down the places that you are more likely to stumble and fall. And I, I think some of it's like just, you know how do I interact with you? What's going on? This is difficult. That's it. Um, That's it right there. Yeah. You, you bring up something with the Alcoholics Anonymous, the church I worked for uh, long ago. They had an AA meeting that met every, it was like Friday or something in the basement. And I know at one point there was a conversation of how could we support that more? What could we do with that better? And there's, there are some limitations to that because you're trying to respect the anonym. I'm, I'm going to struggle with this. Anonymity? Yeah, yeah, that one. I can never <laughs> get silly words like that. Anyway, but how do you respect that? Um, but one thought that had come up and it didn't get any traction, unfortunately, was what if we just made a meal for them once a month? Just we're going to make you food. That's something that you can deliver to the kitchen downstairs and they can serve. It didn't get any, any traction, unfortunately, but it's it's even little things like that where it's, you know, there are those support groups of, of people who are going through, have been through, and understand those struggles. But how is we, as a church, how can we just physically love you? How can we just show you more than providing a space? 
I think that's maybe the, the greatest challenge that the church as a whole struggles with of we don't know how to walk with people well. Yep. If you're not Say struggling, it. we can. But when you are, mm-hmm. we don't know. It's a, at that time when you announce I'm struggling with this, it's like basically let me tag on on my back. I'm su- slightly subhuman now. Don't treat me like a complete human being. And, you know, it's like, how do we stop ourselves from doing that? And one of the horrible things that I've seen, I I have had friends who have dealt with this, gone through with this. Um, You know, you you have situations where someone in ministry has a struggle. They're not this holy person. Uh, And the thing the church does is say, okay, we get your struggle. Um, You're fired. And, and divorce ways with this person instead of walk with them. And I, I do believe there are things the church should look at and say, yeah, no, no, we we can't have that. You're fired, but we want you to still be here. We want to minister to and with you. But that was a, a moral, ethical breach that we can't. And and I don't think some of the things like, uh, I, I know a guy who got fired because he had a porn addiction that he talked to his pastor about and said, I, I want help. And his pastor's reply was, you're fired. Yep. That's not okay. So, I've got a bunch of thoughts and I'm Go. hoping they'll all come together. <laughs> but um okay, bear with me. So I think a lot of times um the Old Testament is is sort of the shadow of the New Testament. So things that happen in the Old Testament are sort of illustrating all right, all right, some wait, wait, wait. a principle. Pause, 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 pause. pause. Mm. Lindsay, I have to commend you for that because that is maybe one of the best analogies I have ever heard of Old Testament, New Testament. So I just want to pause mm-hmm. to say that is incredible. I am stealing that. I'm running away with that. Of the <laughs> Old Testament is the shadow to the things to come in the New Testament. I love it. That is awesome. Yeah. I'm shutting up now. Please finish. Okay. Okay. So anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The Old Testament is the shadow. It's the illustration the idea of things that happen in the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, there's this... The Israelites lived in really, really close proximity. And they had this thing where, like... um, If there were... If you had some questionable things happening with your skin, if you had some, like, um, boils or weird seeping sores or what have you... People that are living near you might say, eh, I think you should probably get that checked out. If you didn't say, I should get that checked out, your neighbors would be like, mm, you need to get that checked out because we don't want you to make all of us unclean. We need to get you help- helped. So you go to the priest. The priest looks at at your skin thing and says, yeah, you're you're unclean. We're going to do the necessary sacrifices. And you you live outside the camp for a little while and then you can come back in. I think the key there is, first off, it's close proximity. You have to know these people. And, and so, if I, I'm sure you know where I'm going, but we don't live next to each other, really. We don't know the people in the front, in front of us. We don't know what they watch on TV. We probably don't know if they sit at the kitchen table to eat dinner. 
I would, I mean, I mean, I know I'm making a generalization, but in general, but we, we don't know each other. So therefore, we don't really pick up on, okay, ready, quote, eruptions of the flesh, if you follow me, things that are yucky, things that are, are gross and um, distasteful and not pleasant. We, do we really know each other well enough to ever con- be in contact with, e- with each other in that capacity? So what you have happen is the only real, the only, the the big sins come out that you can't hide um, and that are sordid scandal. And so we overreact, I think. Oh, kid alert. Hello there. I'm interrupting this podcast. Not to sell you anything per se, but to thank you for listening to the 42 podcast and being a part of the experience. Here at the 42, Rob and I love to hear from our listeners and are always excited to hear suggestions, feedback, and comments. If you want to participate, there are a few ways you can do so. You can support us by rating and reviewing the show. And of course, recommending us to your friends, family, bank teller, car mechanic, whomever. Do you have something in particular that you'd like us to discuss? Or maybe you'd like to actually be on the show to discuss a particular thing, or set us straight about something we got wrong or didn't fully suss out to your satisfaction? You can email us at badtheologyproductions at gmail.com. I really appreciate your taking the time to include us in your busy day. So, Lindsay, I I think you're right there with it, because the desire of the church, and Kyle, jump in on this as well, if you think I'm off or any of that, but I believe the desire of the church is to build a community of believers who are supporting each other in intimate and awkward ways because we're involved in each other's lives. And we've talked briefly about this, not on topic, but with what the picture of the Axe Church looks like, with the picture of how we are supporting and and able to know what the needs of each other are because we're living shoulder to shoulder. And awkwardly, I think we are living... I wouldn't say we're living shoulder to shoulder with social media, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll refrain from from what I'm thinking with that. Um, but it's the social media aspect of things is either only showing the glaze of what life is, mm-hmm. and none of the the crap that's happening in the background, or it's showing the total drama meltdown and painting a picture that feels unredeemable and. I, I don't know what the balance of that is for us right now with where we're going because it's it's weird to navigate. But I think that at the heart of it, the church needs to be trying to build a community of believers that support each other, good and bad. Yes. Yeah, and that means you. You are responsible for the person, for somebody 
you, mm-hmm. we need to make a concerted effort. If your friend hasn't been in church for four months, five months, give them a call or just go to their house and, and, and play solitaire. Invite people over for dinner. You have to make community. You have to make fellowship. You have to know people. Because honestly, I take this super personally because I went off the rails. I, w- I was off the rails and nobody nobody came after me. And 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 I I you came after me, Rob. <laughs> Sorry, um, I'm making goofy faces at you with that one. <laughs> but I just we have to care a lot more than we do, and I think we get so comfortable with other people thinking the best of us. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've gone over a friend's house from my church, and they say, "Oh no, I'm so, we, so," or they don't even let me come over because their house is a mess. You know, like. Oh, sorry, sorry. My my kitchen is messy. It's like, well, I want to know you. I don't. I don't. Like, let's be real with each other. Yeah, I think, I think that's... one of the most destructive words in the church and the world at large is the word "fine." Ooh. How are you? I'm fine. Fine. You know, it's just the easy pass off word. It's like I could be fine, bad, fine, good, but it's still fine. You know, it's right there in the middle. Don't ask me anymore. I gave you a satisfactory answer. Let's move on. Ah, you're, you're killing me, Kyle. <laughs> Sorry, you you say that, and uh, yeah, I I injured my knee. Uh, it's been about a month now, and uh, I I keep getting people. How you doing? How you doing? And yeah, I, I'm I'm guilty of that. Or I I do have good yep. and I do have bad days. Although I don't say fine. I I look at them and go, I'm not dead yet. I feel better. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but some of that is my personality where it's okay. I, I have to be dead for me to stop. Uh, yeah. That's just part of who I am. But no, I mean, that is, that is very real where that's, that's what we do. I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm not dead yet. Uh, yep. And, and we don't allow the worst to come through in a way that is meant to support. And how much of that is a fear of judgment? Oh, yeah. Like, fear of judgment or, like, say, I can remember just last week going through church, you know. How's it going? Oh, everything's fine. It's like, I just don't want to stop and process how my week went to give you that give you that opinion right now. Because, you know, if I, I got, I sat down getting ready for church and I was like, you know, I mean, things are okay, but I'm not fine. Like, I got back to work and realized that the four days I was gone from work were four days that very little was done. The things that needed to be done, you know, apparently nobody else besides myself knew that they needed to be done until I got back. And I just, it was a building frustration over the summer of dealing with coworkers that, you know, wanted to continue to push things off to last minute. And I was like, hmm. I can't function that way because I I do one of two ways. My wife tells me I'm probably on the spectrum somewhere, but (laughs) I'm either last minute panic, get it done. Or my sophomore and junior year of college, I was taking syllabi, laying them out and trying to complete as much of that syllabus on the first few weekends of college. Even if I didn't have all the information needed, because I'm like, if I don't, I'll forget. There's, Hmm. 
there is something to be said, because I, I kind of deal with this, where there's a level of OCD that it sounds like you may deal with of, yep. you know, things have to be in a very particular order. And if it's not and you can't get it Don't there. Don't bother. <laughs> right. There's a depression yeah. that sets in. Let me just fill this full of distractions so I can ignore the, like, just weight coming down on my shoulders. Hmm. Mm. That sounds like the description of my desk. <laughs> I think eight out of ten times when somebody asks you how you are at church, they don't really want to know. And you can tell because no. their eyes don't stay. Yeah, their they, eyes aren't on it's like, you. I'm shaking hands and I move it on to the next person. It's greeting time. or Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, <sighs> Say so there's one uh, member of our church. He was in charge of uh, leading a youth Sunday school class when I first got there. So he stayed in the class with me for a few weeks, made sure I transitioned in, um, and then left. But he always makes it a point to come up before service, usually around my shoulder or something. Yes. How's it going? How how are things? And the eye contact's there, and he's not leaving until yeah. I've spilled. He's your and friend. And, yeah, I was like, I needed that. And he is, mm-hmm. you know, one of the most down-to-earth guys. He's a, a farmer living north of the county and just he's also the brother-in-law of the pastor too but he is i was like i get how the dynamic worked in the church for so long because the pastor was not going to get away with saying anything without uh mark that man's you know dig into him like you said this what does that mean or how far like he would he's just going to give it to you straight and because he cares mm-hmm. and say he's been i think think back to it i was like he is one of the reasons that probably along the first year i didn't just throw my hands up and go i'm not good at this i give up I, so you say that and i i do kind of want to push back because i do think that there really are and uh, as i'm sitting here and, and running it through in my head there are people who are truly genuine in their desire to care and love for other people in the church, out of the church, and around the church. And I love those encounters. Those are the ones that I walk away from. Uh, you know, I, I have one wonderful uh, lady in our church who, when she comes up to me, I, I know her question and, and involvement is going to be very genuine. Very, how are you? Are you okay? And there's a part of me that in the back of my head, because I've got like 10 other things I need to get done before service starts, is like, I, I, I don't have time for this, but I need this. Yep. I appreciate and that's that. why you fellowship outside church. That's why you have her over for dinner, or she has you over for dinner. <laughs> yeah. It's all yes. about the kitchen table. That's my theory. It's It all comes around to the kitchen table. <laughs> that's where it happens. Sam, I mean, I've learned more about church members in the fellowship hall than I ever would, you know, in a Sunday school class or in passing by, you know, getting ready for service. Um, And then even more so when they invite me to their house, you know, hey, come sit down. All of a sudden it's like, boom, here we are. Uh, uh, and had you know, that opportunity. Uh, to To be entirely clear, to be entirely honest, um. Kyle, it was your mom and dad who, when I was out in Western PA, 
it was their kitchen table every Sunday after youth group. And it took me a little bit to actually figure out what was going on and the amount of pouring in encouragement and discipleship that your parents were putting into me and my wife's life and our children. Uh, you know, Ray and Ad then were, when we left, they were four and two, uh, just shy of two. Yeah. But even then, the discipleship that your parents did, and they weren't a part of my church, mm-hmm. but they understood that I was in youth ministry and they were supporting Melinda and I, and it is, it is that kitchen table. It's that cup of coffee, hot or cold, you yep. maniacs. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, my coffee is now cold, but I'm still committed. Uh, and and sitting down and having a conversation. And sermons are great and needed and necessary, but it, it's what comes after the sermon. It's what comes in the fellowship. Uh, it's what comes in the time that we build to connect into the community. And it, this is one of the reasons I love where I'm at now, because we, we do things like this. Not everyone, not always well, but that's the church. We're we're trying, we're doing, we're working on things that are, are better in the grand scheme than doing nothing. Sorry, I jumped on my soapbox there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a good soapbox to jump on. It is, and uh, but it is. It is that kitchen table. It's... You know, it's what Lindsay and I have been trying to build with this podcast. We, we're not using a kitchen table as our example. We're using a bar and drinks and, you know, sitting down with friends and having that fellowship, having I mean, conversations. There's, there's a reason Paul was talking about his churches dining with each other. And it's like, I'm looking through, I was like, man, there's a whole lot of like sitting down for meals in Jesus' ministry. Jesus loved to eat. Uh-huh. <laughs> he really did. Well, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. On that note, my first and absolute favorite miracle is his first. Not only did he love to eat, he, <laughs> he made wine. He made the good stuff. Apparently. <laughs> Jesus, this is really, really good. <laughs> to me, right, that means he made scotch. You can edit that the out. The <laughs> scripture says wine. No, we're leaving it. We're leaving it. <laughs> I mean, but, he used the ceremonial washing jars to do it. So that, I mean, which hey. in and of itself is a beautiful, beautiful allegory to, yep. again, the celebration that is the kingdom of heaven, that is the feast. And even when you think of the church historically, how many feast days did the church have where the intention was the whole town came out and everybody brought a spread? You know, we, we have church potlucks today and, you know, they're great. They're good. I, I have gotten some amazing... I have a recipe I keep meaning to try, but nobody in my family will eat, of um, kibasa soup. But, you know, how how many times do we have these things? And we kind of get close to that point of fellowship, or, or and we have it, or we miss it, and, you know. Mm. Yeah. But historically, the church has done great feast days to bring the community together. Hey. Hey, guys. Hey. Um, can we go back to, um... You're getting really awkward with whispering into the mic to say, hey, guys, we don't do ASMR here. I'm going to probably edit that out. (laughs) So, I wanted to go back to what we were saying about 
how people get kicked out of the church or like mm. kicked out of ministry, mm. fired from their livelihoods for sin. And I just, I wanted to go back to that and sort of establish if that's even a biblical thing. And I wanted to make a case by reading Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. Which is, and I will, I'll read it for you. Why are you making phases? Go ahead. Okay. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Whoa. God hates that. Hates that. And that last one is huge. All of them are really interesting because I'm pretty sure you can see a lot of that in leadership in churches. And adultery isn't on that list. Not that it's not a sin, but it's just not on the list. Um, and in the New Testament... Um, let's see, it's 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 13, and a couple other places where Paul's describing um, the qualifications for elders. It doesn't say anything about kicking people out or, or making you not be a leader if you do have sin in your life. I don't see where that's, that's in there. I mean, because in um, even in in Galatians six, one to six, let me go there one second. Um, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, caught, not repentant, caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to anyone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. I think that's really interesting. I don't think there's a biblical precedent. Um, for Because uh, David... Remember David? Yeah. He uh, murdered someone. For a woman. For a woman. And had a baby with that woman. Who then became king. And Well, second baby. Yeah, second and, baby. And God still didn't cast him out or cut him off. He was still a leader. Even though he was weak and a terrible father and pretty stinky husband, he still was described as a man after God's own heart. So I, I, I guess that's what I have to say. So I was making faces at you because I, I was trying to predict the path that you were going to go with this argument and it did not go the way I thought it would. Okay. Mm. And you threw me off with going into Proverbs first, which, hey, actually that was really good. I thought you were going to make the argument for Peter. I love Peter. Oh yeah, Peter too. Mm. I love I have grown to love Peter because 
when I look at Peter, I go, wow, I'm not screwing it up that bad yet, I think. <laughs> uh, you know, and one of my favorites being Jesus predicts his death, Matthew 16, uh, 21. And he says, look, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. And Peter pulls him aside, privately pulls him inside, says, no, no, you're not. I'm going to fight for you. We're going to make this work. We're going to, it'll be all good. And Jesus looks at him and well, it, it's a famous line. Get behind yeah. me, Satan. Satan. Yeah. It's not, no, you're fired. Get out. Get behind me, Satan. And, and you know, this is Matthew 16. There's still however many more chapters of Peter screwing up and learning. All the way up into the, uh, well, the ascension. But we we don't do well with that as a church we we look and we go no 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 you have to be it, it's almost like we expect everyone to be okay jesus come into your life now you're post resurrection not post salvation post resurrection perfect uh and, and i, I really, are we even reading the same bible <laughs> i don't know because i look at peter and i go wow this is the dude that the the church is founded on not founded on but who built the church yeah. You know, Christ is the foundation and Peter is the one who went out with the message and yeah fine holy smokes Paul but okay listen to this this is a weird connection and I'm not sure how it's related you're doing the whispery thing again <laughs> I'm sorry I'm sorry I think it's interesting should I turn my volume down no no you no. I love you Lindsay you get passionate and you get loud and then you get excited and you get quiet and passionate okay <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so interestingly, Jesus call, says, get behind me, Satan, when he's talking to Peter. Okay, and he's, and, and, and then another time, the word Satan, which Satan is not mentioned a whole lot in the Bible, the other time Satan is mentioned is when Paul is talking about the Corinthian guy who's been, like, sleeping with his own mother or something, detestably yucky. He says, Cast, let him... Um, release him to Satan or let him go to Satan. So I just think that's really interesting that we're talking about some kind of sin, like Peter's either tempting Jesus in some way unbeknownst to him. Um, and in the other situation, it's almost like Satan is sort of beckoning or alluring that other guy. So it's just interesting that those two things happen. I don't know if they're connected, but it's interesting. <laughs> I I think the connection is this, and, and it goes back to that community idea of Peter is still in the community, even though he's failing, the community is around him, supporting him, helping him grow. And they're growing with him because, you know, you got a few chapters later and you get James and John and their mother, who's like, so Jesus, um, you see my two great sons here? Who's going to rule on your right? Who's going to rule on your left? Hey, mm. you know, mommy dearest. Uh, and, and again, Jesus uses this as a community time to teach, to reinforce and grow with the disciples or grow the disciples. But with what Paul's talking about and you're referencing in Corinthians, it's not just a, oh, they have sin, kick them out. There's an aspect of continued community growth and trying to say, hey, hey, maybe that's not the best thing to do. Yeah. And and there's a line of, okay, we've tried. Yes. We've tried. We've tried. 
And it seems like in this case, which is interesting considering what we're talking about, the sin has gone on so long that it's like, I mean, how long does it take to get a message to Paul? A while. And how long does it take a message to get back? A while. And so this has been something that has been sort of tolerated for some unknown reason. Maybe the guy had... I don't know why you would tolerate it. Maybe it ha- maybe the guy had money or it was just sort of an embarrassing thing. But in this case, Paul is saying, this is when we don't tolerate sin. This is when we don't do that. When it's so blatant and just um, unrepentant, we need to protect the flock. If we're, if we're looking at this c- close community where we don't want... Kyle, where are you at? Say, I think it... A lot of it boils down to how we as the Western church kind of see the role of mm. ministers. Mm. Um, you're the pastor. Perfect. Do it all. Yeah. Um, and it just so much like if every church didn't rely on its pastor for everything and kind of make that pseudo Christian celebrity, you yep. know, um, been listening to a podcast uh the last couple days from christianity today uh the fall of mars hill Mm. talking about mark driscoll and all that and the more i listened to it like it started out with me listening and being like this guy how was he allowed to and then just going through systematically i'm like not like Mark Driscoll wasn't an awful person. Like he didn't like he did some awful things. Um his way of doing it. I was like, but I was like, there's a whole lot of enabling and a whole lot of, well, he's the pastor and he's just gotta do it all. And at least there's no like major like sexual or like violent crimes or anything. Like he's just saying some things and that's okay. And right. I was like but you're there's the lack of accountability there. And then there's a lack of the church doing what the church should be doing. Like if you come to put your butt down in a seat and you don't plan on serving and helping, you know, then I don't think you understood, you know, the call of Christ. You know, and that's not to say that there's not a time for you to have to like, Hey, you know, I'm pulling back. I'm here to like, y'all are going to help me. But you know, that's what, we can't be there to help if no one's helping, if no one's pulling along. You know, it's kind of like we have this. Apart. We have a we like decapitate leadership and put their head on a pike, and we all just sort of watch. Yeah, <laughs> we all just let him do all the head stuff, and yep. when I'm pretty sure there's like a neck and shoulders and arms and legs and livers and kidneys and very essential parts of the body, but we don't really think of that, and I think that's part of the Western failing of of um considering church not a community so much as like a club or a theater that you go and watch you um and participation is you can, you don't have to you can just go in and partic- you know watch sing songs yep. and the guys talk at you yeah yep yeah, write comments in the bo- put your comments in the box you know and instead of having a community where you're encouraging um, members to, and when I say members, I mean like like members of your body, to um, figure out how do you function? What is your gifting? Because Paul talks a lot about many different gifts, um, many different roles, 
some of them administrative and some of them more in the in the forefront but everybody has a role just like in like I, I might have said this before so I don't mean to bore anyone but the whole um, I love thinking of the Greek uh, phalanx how they would all um, their sh- it was they would have these huge shields that were like the, the height of their body or, or maybe a little shorter than that and they'd crouch behind it and the people behind they would have their sh- shields above their head and they'd be m- moving forward now if two or three guys weren't there or weren't functioning like they should or forgot their shield people are going to die and i and i think we have this weird thing in the church of hyper focusing on things that don't matter or matter in a way that's gotten twisted does sin matter in the church does people sleeping around in the church matter yeah mm-hmm. but not in but we but we react in ways that aren't aren't appropriate or or they'll never bring redemption yeah yeah. So, so to kind of start bringing that in, then you're talking about broadly and referencing first First Corinthians twelve, starting with verse twelve. It's the last half of uh, that chapter, <clears throat> and the idea that we are the body of Christ. And Kyle, you referenced how the Western Church we kind of want the uh, I'm going to paraphrase, but we want that all-encompassing package as individuals, not as a community, but as individuals. We want that in our leadership. We want that in ourselves. And that's kind of where this fundamental break then fits in. Because if we're not working as a community, and and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, if we're not working as a community, then the default state for us to sit in when dealing with the vices of the church of any kind is a state of judgment. And instead of bringing someone in who may be more sympathetic and be able to help someone along or be able to provide the support they need rather than just shunting them into a program or an area, if we have that community base, we can bring someone alongside that individual or those groups of individuals who's, I've been there, I've, I've been through this, let me walk with you. But because we are Western and, and ruggedly individualized, we keep going in this state of judgment that is, nope, you don't got the whole package, you're out. Is that a correct summary? Would you guys? Yeah, I mean, that's like 100%. Like you look, top selling Christian books at a Christian bookstore, and like and you go to your church, it's got a little Christian book nook. Read the titles, remove God and Jesus from them, and it sounds like a self-help book. You know, it's all about help yourself, do this yourself. And I'm sitting there, I was like, I'm sorry, did you read the same Bible I have? Because it just told me I can't do it. It gave me this whole Old Testament that showed me I can't. And to for not foreshadow, we already <laughs> foreshadowed, but to rehash <laughs> Lindsay's point, the Old Testament, which has judgments and is full of do's and don'ts, is only the shadow of the New Testament, of the community we're trying to build. And that that community is entirely reliant, not on judgment, not on punishment, but on walking with one another because we can't. Yes. Yes, and okay, good point. Good Stop point. Whispering. I'm not whispering. I'm it's I'm not you got whispering. Excited. You're like, yes, yes. 
I'm picking. I'm Shush. picking. <laughs> well, okay. Now I'm going to sound discombobulated. Um. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, okay. There's that New Testament verse that says we are a kingdom of priests. So, like, to bring it back to the Old Testament, you brought your your eruptions of the flesh to the priest. To the priest. You're a priest. You're a priest. We're all priests. And so that's why we need to be in contact with each other so we can help each other. And, um, and I mean, the I just, just for fun, I looked up verses about judging. And there's a lot more verses about not judging each other than judging each other in the New Testament. And I think, so I think I'm going to go with that. It's there's a difference between helping each other and keeping each other accountable with someone that you are in agreement and fellowship with. So I'm not going to judge you because I don't know you. <laughs> I, you know, you're, we're not, we're not in fellowship with, with one another, but, um, somebody that I am in fellowship with and I know really well and I've, I love them and we've earned that. And it, I do you realize, do you realize that you've been doing that or do you know, I don't know. You just have a better measure of accountability. I guess that's my only point is that it's the priest thing and bringing it all around. So, so. Let, let's put voice to the, the scripture you quoted. All right. The Leviticus one? No. Or the Hebrews one? No. You, all right. First Peter 2.9. Okay. okay. But yeah. you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. And that's out of the New Living Translation. There you go. That's just a mic drop right there. <laughs> I can't yeah. drop my mic. I put it on a boom arm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's expensive. <laughs> I don't want to drop they it. They are. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of all I got as far as things I Kyle, you beforehand. you brought this topic up on social media. You wanted to talk about it. I put you in the hot seat saying come on and talk with us <laughs> so i guess here's the thing as someone who has been listening as someone who has uh now joined us in the conversation where are you at with this conversation i mean do you feel satisfied that we we tried to give some voice to it I, do you have thoughts i mean I, you could have this conversation probably every single podcast of the week and we probably still have more to talk about um I mean, it's just the nature. Yeah, it's like it's the nature of like it cuts right into what the church is and what it needs to be doing and how it needs to show Christ and how, you know, I'm just pointing at myself how I need to, you know, let Christ change me to do that work. You know, I have to make sure I use those operative words to allow Christ to be doing the work in me because. I can muscle it through all I want, and I'm going to look like every bit of, like, white Christian nationalism that I may be around or, you know, just this hyper-focused on, well, I need to do what will make me a better Christian. And it's like, uh, doing isn't 
it, no, no, don't, don't start getting into the works thing again, or else you're going to have a list that there's not enough paper on the world to cover. Um, I, I think back to, uh, just, yeah. Say you listen to Matt Whitman <laughs> in his podcast. And uh, yeah. Matt has really kind of just rewritten all of uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees for me. Like they are no longer the guys that just walk around. Yeah. Yeah. I'm an evil bad guy. It's like, I truly and honestly, I'm like, that's me. Like maybe not as blatantly obvious as they're portraying themselves out to be, but I've thought that thought. I've had that opinion. I have looked at that person who was struggling with their faith and wanted to come down and swoop down and like condemn and tell them, you just need to pull yourself up and stop being a little baby. And it's like, no, that I was like, Oh, Jesus was yelling at me. Like I sat in that same brood of vipers. You know, I'm sitting here working on my, washing my bowl on the outside, leaving it filthy on the inside. I'm like, okay, well, thanks God for sending that mat my way. And and the hard part, I, I so Matt Whitman does, um, he's got a handful of projects, but he does a YouTube channel, 10 Minute Bible Hour, the podcast, 10 Minute Bible Hour, that's going, uh, it almost feels word by word through Matthew. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> It is very good. And he just started a third project called uh, Ironwood Rhino. I think it's Ironwood Rhino. Yes. Which is really neat. Lindsay, you would enjoy it. It's a uh, thought process of the weird and trying to find a rational explanation for it. It's really neat. I just listened to episode five of it and it it was a banshee scream and they they think they solved it. It It was neat. Anyway. Hmm. Uh, but Matt does a handful of, of projects. He is, I would argue that he's one of the best theologians to listen to right now. Uh, just hands down, he's approaching things from from the text and navigating them with a world. He's good. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is a point that he's been highlighting in going through Matthew of the Pharisees. Well, it's easy to look and see them as that cartoonish bad guy. They're not. They're something that we as a church can sit with and look and go, oh, wait a minute. We're doing that. Oh, wait a minute. I've done that. And the simplistic view of the Pharisees is, yeah, we can make them the bad guy. But they're there because it shows us how we're the bad guy. And if we don't learn and grow in that, then, well... That second coming is going to be us looking as a Pharisee saying, no, no, Jesus, you got it wrong. You didn't do the second coming right. Look, look at yeah. this over here. This is how, you this missed is, me. yeah, this is what you're supposed to do. And yeah, I mean, Pharisees boil down to all of those vices in the church that we allow ourselves to become enamored with and, you know, reason away, you know, it's okay, I can do this because, you know, it's technically not a sin. It's like, yeah, but did you put it in a place of idolatry? Now it's a sin. And, you know, we we work our way around it. You know, we try to come up with it. And then, well, it's not as bad as, you know, 
brother John over there. It's like, now we're throwing people under the bus. <laughs> and standing on top of their corpses saying, I'm not this bad. Yeah. But, okay. I, and, <laughs> yeah, I, we, we got to start wrapping it up. But uh, I, I think this has been good. You know, maybe down the road, maybe going into season two, we'll have to have you back on and talk some more church stuff or life or, you know, whatever. If you if you have another topic you want to join us for, let us know. Yeah. So Say make it more than a decade since I talked to you. I, has it been that long? It's been close. I've been married for nine years now. I guess 2020 and 2021 are my year of catching up with people I haven't spoken to for... <laughs> Because we're going to have another guest on soon, and Lindsay and I really hadn't spoken for years, and this other guy that we'll eventually have, Joey, on, I hadn't spoken to him really for like 15 years. Uh, Yeah. Dragging people out of of the closet Pandemics bringing people together. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Lindsay, anything else? No, I've been, it's been a really good conversation. Kyle, thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's been great. Absolutely. And hey, to the rest of you listeners, if you have a topic that you would like to talk about, you want to join us in the podcast, it's pretty simple. We love having you. We love interacting with you. And, you know, we continue to love hearing your thoughts on our swear word episode. We were just talking about another one of those today before we started. Yeah. Yeah. So. But, uh. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Kyle, thank you for sharing the idea and coming on and talking with us. Uh, you know, we try to be relaxed with things and have fun with it. So it's been good to have you. And it's but, been great. So, all right. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, Kyle. Yeah. And uh, have a good week. Yeah. You guys, too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to The 42 Podcast. Please take a moment to like and subscribe. And if you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter to add your voice to the conversation. Thank you.